You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group, www.americantheatre.org. Hello, uh, welcome to Offscript, American Theatre's podcast on all things theatrical. It's October 18th, 2023. I'm Rob Weinert Kent. Uh, editor-in-chief of American Theatre. My pronouns are he, him. I'm coming to you from the land of the Lenape in Queens, although the background behind me, I won't tell you what it is, it's a spoiler. We have a very special show today. I am a middle-aged white guy with the dirty blonde hair, glasses, wearing a, a blue and white check shirt and a yellow tie. Wearing a tie because, again, it's a very special day, and I'm here with... Gabriela Furtado Coutinho. Hi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm American Theatre's Chicago associate editor, as well as a Brazilian actor and writer. Um, for a visual descriptor, I am a light honeyed skin woman with brown hair. I am in front of a bookcase. I'm wearing a yellow shirt, a beaded necklace, and hoop earrings. Um, and I'm coming to you from the land of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, Odawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nations. Thank you. Very excited, very excited about today because today we're going to unveil our annual list of the top 10 uh, most produced plays at TCG member theaters around the country in the coming season. The coming season is really, we're, the season's upon us. So a number of these productions have already happened. So it started in September. Um, and our top 20 most produced playwrights list is the tradition that goes back, the, the plays list goes back to the mid nineties and the playwrights list to the mid aughts. Um, and we've been doing this not as a way to, you know, make a hierarchy, but just to give a snapshot of, of where the field is at and, and what people are, what people are producing. Um, and it's a very exciting time for us. Uh, these top 10 lists we did last year virtually, as we did uh, the magazine for a couple of years. But just yesterday, the first print editions of American Theater Magazine left the printer in New Hampshire. They're on their way to New York and in mailbox into your mailboxes if you're a subscriber. The first printed edition since May 2020. We're very excited to have it back. Um, and it's a really good time if you're not already a member to support the work of Theater Communications Group and American Theater by joining. Just you can go to americantheater.org slash join. And uh, we're gonna uh, uh, list, unveil the top 10 list and top 20 list in a minute. And we're gonna have uh, a couple of the wonderful talents who whose plays are uh, uh, featured in the on the lists. Uh, that's obviously a surprise. But first we're going to talk briefly about some of the things we've been covering in the magazine and I'm going to highlight a few things that we have covered not only in the online, but will be in the print magazine uh, if you if you get it. Uh, one is a, a People to Watch feature that we did on the director, uh, Steve Broadnax, Pennsylvania-based Steve, well, Steve H. Broadnax III, actually, and Sarah Porkalov, who's a, a, a solo performer who also, uh, who's played Dragon Lady and Dragon Mama. Those plays are going all around the country this season. And of course, you might remember her from 1776 on Broadway, uh, the cross-gender casting there and the famous interview she did for New York Magazine. Anyway, we have a, a, a check-in with her in this coming issue. It's both in the print edition, it's also online. Um, I'll just hit a few other online pieces that you can, that you can uh, look for. Um, I spoke to one of my favorite people, I, I guess I could say that, Jessica Kubzanski, the director who runs Boston Court a Theater in Pasadena. She's got a production I wish I could see. I talked to a lot of people about shows I can't see because I'm just stuck here in Queens. Um, it's Measure Still for Measure. It's basically, she's it's an immersive piece where you're inside an actor's rehearsal, uh, rehearsal room, uh, rehearsing measure for measure, the Shakespeare play and having Me Too dynamics basically crop up, a power dynamics between the cast. It sounds fascinating. I've read it. I, I, I wish I could see it. Um, and I've had a great conversation with her about that. Um, Recently, we had a couple pieces we sort of paired about the sort of state of the field. Obviously, that's on a lot of people's minds, how the theater field is doing. One is uh, was about ticket prices. Uh, Rosie Brownlow-Kalkin, a wonderful writer from Nevada, surveyed a bunch of theaters about what their prices are. Um, and it's a fascinating piece, a lot of counterintuitive uh, uh, wisdom in it um, and, and some food for thought. Um, and then we had a piece from Jared Strange, who's based in the DC area. Uh, about co-production, which is not a new trend, but it seems to be something a lot of theaters are 
are uh, turning to again, especially he knows in the DC area, but of course it's a national trend. Theaters uh, defraying some of the costs uh, and cross subsidizing each other's work by doing co-production. So that's interesting. I just wanna highlight one more thing. It was, I think April, as long ago as April, doesn't feel that long ago, where I was at La Mama listening to a conversation between Dmitry Krymov, the amazing director who's basically stuck here because of the, the war in Ukraine. Um, can't go back, he opposes it and he's Jewish and he's he's basically reconstituted his work process here, partly through La Mama and Anne Bogart, who was doing a piece at La Mama at the time. Their conversation was wild and interesting and fascinating as you might imagine if you know any of their work. And we transcribed a bit of it, a very tantalizing bit of it. And you can take a look at that online. Gabriella, you're gonna talk about some other things that we have published in the past few weeks. Absolutely. So there was two really, really exciting projects that I'd like to highlight that we got to cover. One is For the People with Larissa Fastorus and Ty Defoe. Um, this is a piece written by David John Chavez, and it's a great look at what the process has been like at the, Guff, at the Guthrie, um, the challenges that they've run into, but especially how Larissa and Ty have been able to create a very community-centered effort. Um, and center wellness. It's really, really exciting. Another piece uh, is on Destinos, written by myself, honoring ancestry, posterity, and the creative alchemists, the OI. Um, this is a great Latina festival in the Chicagoland area, bringing together folks from around the country and highlighting our own local artists. So definitely check out those pieces, as well as those shows if you're in the area. Um, in terms of insightful analysis, as we need a lot of it right now during these turbulent times for the field. There are two great pieces coming out of Chicago. One is Spaced Out in Chicago, When Storefront Theaters Run Out of Storefronts by Amanda Finn. This is a really important look at how small and mid-sized performance venues have helped create Chicago's scene, but also now how they are struggling to retain those venues. Um, and the second piece is Decentering Doom, kind of other end of the spectrum on looking at this crisis. A word from Chicago theater workers Elsa Hiltner and Yasmin Zechariah Mikhail. And they get to discuss some really beautiful uh, conversations that they've had with artists in the city and some analysis that they're doing on what is working and how people are centering people and planet over possession or profit. Um, it's really, really exciting to see how people are handling all of these different pressure points, and I encourage you to stay in conversation um, and stay hopeful. Yeah, our Chicago coverage has been uh, stellar, thanks to Gabriella, and our, our uh, not not on screen this week uh, uh, for this episode, J.R. Pierce, who's the Chicago editor there, and just a wonderful stable of writers there. Um, we, of course, continue to cover news. We don't usually highlight this, but I'll just mention there was some good and bad news in the past past week, uh, Under the Radar is coming back as a sort of citywide festival. The Del Arte uh, Training Center in Blue Lake, California is facing closure if they don't raise more funds. This is a familiar story, unfortunately, lately. This morning, I got the news and posted the news about New Repertory Theater in Watertown, Massachusetts, closing its doors after 40 seasons. This unfortunately is not, uh, not uncommon. And then, of course, we had a new sort of, not a list from the Kilroys, a sort of web uh, uh, of recommendations that was sort of based around a list of plays, but it, it sort of tried to shine a light on other artists besides uh, uh, the under underproduced uh, female and non-binary playwrights. So look for those news, look for that news, keep up keep up to date with the news on, with the timely news online. And I hope you will also subscribe to the print edition to have a definitive thing in your hand that sort of sums up the best of our ability, what's going on in the theater. And now without further ado, if you've been waiting, <laughs> I'm going to jump into the top 10 and top 20 lists. Um, so just to let you know, this is based on about 1,500 uh, productions listings that we have printed in the magazine. You can also find a version of these listings online, but though they don't quite match up with exactly what's in print because online is a live, sort of a living document and print is not a living document. It's like sitting there in print. But 15, about 1,500 productions around the country uh, this season, and of those... The most produced plays, there are actually 12 because of ties, what we call the top 10 list. And I'm gonna go from the lowest number to the highest. And here we go, strap in, <laughs> here we go. Um, uh, with seven productions, there are, there are, there's a three-way tie. 
The Rocky Horror Show by Richard O'Brien, Every Brilliant Thing by Duncan McMillan and Johnny Donahoe, and Cabaret by Joe Masteroff, John Kander, and Fred Ebb. Those each have seven productions around the country in, the, in this season. Going to uh, a three-way tie for eight productions. We have Sanctuary City by Martina Mayoke, Beautiful, the Carol King musical by Douglas McGrath and songwriters uh, Goffin and King and Man and Wild. Um, we have, again, with eight productions, the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fasthorse. It's, it's been on our list for a number of years and it's still there. Uh, and had a Broadway run this past spring, so you, you may know. Uh, there's a two-way tie at uh, with nine productions, Fat Ham by James Imes. That was on the list last year. Uh, won the Pulitzer last year. And this one, amazingly, is the first time it's been on one of our top 10 lists, Dial M for Murder, the, uh, mur the mystery chestnut that was originally by Frederick Knott. Um, these nine productions are actually in a new adaptation by Jeffrey Hatcher. He's uh, kind of updated and uh, reworked the play. Um, there's a slight asterisk to that. There actually will be a 10th production of Dial M for Murder, but we looked it up. And the, I think it's Virginia Rep is doing the original Frederick Knott. So some love for Frederick Knott, but the nine productions are the Jeffrey Hatcher adaptation. J jumping up to 12 productions, we have the Lehman Trilogy by Stefano Massini, adapted by Ben Power. And now we get to the last three. Um, with 13 productions, I'm going to try and get this title exactly right. There are 14 words in it. POTUS or Behind Every Great Dumbass Are Seven Women Trying to Keep Him Alive. Makes you smile just saying that title. By Selena Fillinger, 13 productions around the country. And then at number two, uh, it was number one last year, Clyde's by Lynn Nottage with 14 productions. And I'm very, very happy to, to report that the most produced play at TCG Theaters in the coming season with 16 productions is What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck. Yeah, pop your cork, <laughs> cheer wherever you are, applaud. Um, those are the top 10 most produced plays. Uh, the list of those should be live on our website any second. Um, so you can take a look and there's some analysis for what it's worth about what they, what they say about the field. We'll get to that in the conversation too. Gabriella, you're going to give us the list of the top 20 most produced playwrights around the country. I'm take so excited. to. <laughs> Starting from the bottom of the list, uh, some folks I absolutely personally love uh, with a three-way tie um, for eight productions, the incredible Karen Zacarias with eight productions plus two co-credits, two of those being co-credits. Um, Thomas Meehan with eight productions, Douglas McGrath with eight productions. Now there's like a nine-way, there's a four-way tie for nine productions with Dominique Moriso, Joe Masteroff, Harvey Firestein and Larissa Fasthorse. Going up to 10 productions with a three-way tie is Bob Martin, James Imes, and Howard Ashman. Now with 12 productions, we have a three-way tie, Stefano Massini and Ben Power, who adapted the play from its original Italian. Martina Mayoc, Lauren Gunderson, with 12 productions, five of those being co-credits. Jeffrey Hatcher with 13 productions, Kate Hamill with 13 productions, Selena Fillinger with 14 productions, August Wilson with 15 productions, Heidi Schreck with 16 productions, Ken Ludwig with 17 productions, one of those being a co-credit, and at the top of the list, once again for her second year in a row, the indomitable Lynn Nottage with 22 productions. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That is our big news event for the year. Thank you all for 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 tuning in for that. I, I it's an exciting, interesting list, and of course they're, they're all online, and you can look at what we what we've made of that. Also online, uh, it's not in the print edition. Those are in the print edition, but online we have a piece by Lauren Halverson, the wonderful DC dramaturg and newsletter writer, uh, and sort of breaking down what the season says about the state of theater. It's it's not all bad news. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm going to say behind me is Kansas City Rep Repertory Theater. That was the next place that Heidi Schreck's play, What the Constitution Means to Me, is going to play. It's not playing at any of the TCG member theaters right now. It just recently closed at Oregon Contemporary Theater 
And POTUS, though, is playing at a couple of different theaters. And I think now is a great time to introduce both Heidi Shrek and Selena Fillinger, who are with us today to talk about these two fabulous feminist plays. Um, Heidi, Lynn, uh, Selena. Hello. Congratulations Hello. to you both. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to just ask first, how are you? How do you feel? Where are you and what are you up to? Just just to check in with you both. Heidi? Uh, <clears throat> hello. I'm so happy to be here and really honored by this. Um, I'm Heidi Shrek, she, her. I'm in Ditmas Park, Brooklyn, um, unceded homeland of the Lenape people. Um, for those of you um, Want to know what I look like? I'm a white lady in her 50s with blonde hair. I'm wearing a navy sweater and a little necklace. Um, uh, I'm I'm doing, I guess, okay considering the the world. Uh, and I'm very honored to be here today and thankful to all of you for having me. Awesome, Selena. You said you're in Portland, right? Uh, yes, I, I live in Portland, but um, I'm currently visiting DC. I'm in a hotel oh. room right now. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm afraid I can't do a, I'm visiting, so I don't know how to do a proper land acknowledgement here because um, I'm less familiar. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a 29-year-old white woman in a, a green turtleneck. I was like checking to see what I was wearing um, <laughs> with brownish hair. Um, yeah, so I'm visiting DC for a for um, the opening of POTUS here tomorrow. That's awesome. Internal necks, I think, are figured to POTUS, as I recall. They, they, are. Uh, they are. They <laughs> are. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about your plays. Just, just introduce them, because I don't think everybody, despite their 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 vast number of productions, not everyone uh, in the country or listening to this might have might have uh, seen them or read them. Um, so I think my producer Ali has a couple. Uh, collages to, to so I'll, I'll talk about the plays really briefly uh, and Ali why don't you share the uh, uh, constitution ones um, this is I mean you know I feel awkward describing your play to you Heidi you can probably do better but this is for my it's it's a searching very funny pointed uh, very funny very pointed look at our nation's founding principles and documents and how they've served and failed to serve all its people and I, I it's built as a kind of Trojan horse of a solo show based on competitive speeches that Heidi gave as a teen in the Pacific Northwest, but refracted through her life and her family's history, inclusive of other voices who are on stage. And the show, in fact, ends with a debate with an actual teen. Um, these, this, the photos we see here are from Ensemble Theater Cincinnati. Obviously, Heidi in her iconic yellow jacket in the middle from on Broadway. And also, I, that's the Broadway, I believe, but it was also the same design at uh, New York Theater Workshop. North Carolina Stage Company, Syracuse Stage in the bottom left, you see the debate happening there. Main Street Theater, Houston, you see the, the Legionnaire, another character, and Oregon Contemporary Theater, which is the most recent uh, place it's been. Um, and then POTUS, I, I have to say the whole title again one more time. POTUS are behind every great dumbass are seven women trying to keep him alive. <laughs> that, uh, we'll have a slide in a second. That's a delightfully crude farce about a very bad day at the White House in which the women who support or are related in some way to an offstage and unnamed president are taxed to their individual and collective limits by a very below the belt controversy. And then something worse happens, or maybe it's better. That's, I, I described this youth Wilson meets scandal meets riot girl slimy door farce. So um, this is a Berkeley rep, which I think it's running still right now. This is the upper left. On, in the middle, we have Broadway. <laughs> very dramatic moment happening there. Uh, Speakeasy Stage Company in Boston. Um, Stages Houston, another Houston company, Virginia Rep, and Contemporary Theater of Ohio. So these plays are, you know, they're popular, they're they're everywhere. Um, I wondered if I could just ask each of you a little bit about, you know, some some favorite moments from these various productions that you've either gone to. And I've, I was I was talking to Heidi before the show about whether when you have a popular show, do you do, do playwrights go out and try to see them all? try to collect them all, or they try to let the child go into the world and let, let it have its own life. Uh, Heidi, why don't you start? T tell me a little bit about maybe a favorite moment from one of these productions or something that hits you a different way. Um, sure. I, well, I, I mean, my play is very personal and the main character is me. So I yeah. really, 
was stressed out actually when it first started, when it was first licensed. I didn't know yeah. whether I had made a mistake or not. <laughs> um, luckily, I feel, well, I'm, I've been really moved by the number of theaters that have done it across the country. And a lot of people have reached out to me. And so I've gotten to be in contact with a lot of people. I've, I don't see it very often. It's very weird for me to watch, but I have been able to go see it and, um, uh, and actually found myself enjoying it as a play that's about someone else, someone else's family, um, someone else's speech contest. And, uh, and I've been kind of surprised at, uh, the fact that it holds up as a play and also just really excited by how beautiful some of the productions I've been able to see. So the last one I saw was at Notre Dame. Um, this uh, uh, great actress, Stacey Stoltz, performed it there in their kind of small theater on campus. And she reached out to me and personally invited me. And I really uh, wanted to go because it was in Indiana. And I was very curious how it would play somewhere like Notre Dame. Um, mm. And uh, it was great to watch it there. They programmed a bunch of events around it. So there was like people from their law school, conservative uh, law students debating liberal law students. There were um, a number of events, like speakers from sort of who might have very different opinions about some of the things that the play dives into. Um, uh, and it became part of the university's like democracy now project so um so it was really cool to see it somewhere where it was i think having a maybe a different kind of where people were having a different kind of conversation around it hmm. uh, and then i'm going out to see it where um in kansas city i'm going to go see it. so jen westfeld who i've had the pleasure of meeting since she decided to do the play uh i'm going to go see her perform in it in a couple of weeks oh cool cool Selena, how about you? I did. I POTUS is up at two different places. It's about to go up at uh, Steppenwolf too. So it's a very busy time for POTUS. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. They've been. It's been all over the place. I. The only one that I was in person for any part of the rehearsal process so far was um, Berkeley, and then Arena Stage um, here in DC. I will be going in for some final previews for um, Steppenwolf, and I've been in conversations with the director throughout um and then uh i will be involved at the the geffen's um production in la but um i've talked to some people at the other ones um it's uh yeah i was really fascinated to see what it would be like for heidi to like have such a personal your own story embodied by someone else um but yeah it's such a i don't know it's such a pleasure i think the thing that makes the means the most to me is like watching how close the cast get. That seems to be like a really precious part of it is like the cast get really um, bonded in a very specific way. And and um, that's been really beautiful to see. Yeah, it does. It's, well, it's a, such a physical comedy. It's like you really have to rely on each other in a, in a show like that to really make it to make it work, but also to support each other because it's some, some crazy stuff happening on stage. <laughs> I don't think I've, yeah, exactly. I, I, there's possibly, there might, there might've been, there might've been a farce before with the breast pump, but I don't know if I've ever seen it. So. <laughs> um, <Hey>. Breast pump <laughs> representation. Yes, breast pumps, Crocs. Uh, I just wanted to say the words devil boobs. I especially like those two words. Anyway, um, Gabriella, I think you, you were going to ask a little more, just burrow into the plays a little bit more. Yeah, I'd love to get, you know, deep into the details of your processes writing these incredible plays. Um, I'm going to start with Heidi's play. I'm really moved by the way that you decenter yourself with the debate, the ending, and the opportunity to share Mike's story, um, even while the play remains very deeply personal. Um, and a note at the beginning, you share how the script, perhaps like the Constitution, hey, is a living, breathing document, a blueprint. Um, can you share a little bit about the development process and how you hope artists inhabiting these roles might engage in that extemporaneous storytelling? Sure. Um, yeah, so we, yes, you are right. We wanted it, Oliver Butler and I worked together very closely on the, the ultimate version of the play and wanted it to have elements of spontaneity. We wanted the debate to, be constructed, but allow for people to um, to keep it present, to keep it real. If they had a better idea, they wanted to debate to find ways to to you know incorporate that into their argument. Um, 
So basically when I sort of sent it out into the world, I made an, an essentially like a Mad Libs version of the script. So like my monologue remains the same. And then right at the very end, I really wanted the person playing Heidi to be able to debate as themselves. Um, it seemed important that they be arguing on behalf of their own point of view and not mine. Um, so I wrote a little Mad Libs for the person to step out, introduce themselves, talk about for a second why they wanted to do this play or what it means to them. Tiny moment for like insert funny anecdote <laughs> and then debate as themselves. And then the same for the debater. So the debater has um, a kind of Mad Libs version where they can add in their own personal information. And then I, I gave them like, when you get um, a script to, to put on at your theater, you get like four different versions of the debate. You get advice about where you might update statistics. You get advice about where you might put in a new fact that has arisen since, you know, I performed the play. You get um, ideas for different metaphors and encouragement to come up with your own, for example, for the Ninth Amendment. So basically, I tried to bake into the production script uh, a, a way to allow it to um, stay alive, uh, to, to remain spontaneous. And of course, the ending is a spontaneous ending, um, a crafted spontaneous ending, where they ask the two debaters ask one another questions that they really answer. Um, and yeah, I tried to send it out so that it could be as personal as possible to the people who are performing it. Um, obviously it's not gonna be personal in the way it is to me, but I wanted to allow them a space for their own connection to it. Thank you for sharing that. That's so exciting. And I think it also offers us playwrights uh, new ways to be able to construct a script and remain in community with the folks who will eventually inhabit those bodies. Speaking of which, um, Selena, you also have that hyper-awareness at the beginning of your play. You remind us that casting will shape the narrative, considering the relationship between bodies, the White House roles, and the really wild lines that you have. Um, really fun times. How has seeing the play with different actors evolved your own ideas about the play? Um, have you heard um, specific moments differently. Um, and I also just wanted to share, I, I, I am a little quote from Selena. Um, at least three of the characters must be women of color. Actors can be cis or trans. Age is flexible. Beauty is subjective. So long as they're fast, fierce, and fucking hilarious. Just beautiful wording there. So have you heard uh, moments differently? What has that been like going from production to production? Yeah, I mean, I think um, of course, everyone brings their, you know, different, different, I think, of course, like the play is about proximity to power and com complicity it, with power. And so um, the intersection of identities delivering the lines really does impact how things land. Um, I do think that one of the biggest things is just being like, as, as the news change, and as, as, um, you know, elections happen, wars happen, politics change, that sort of lines that were frequently like ignored or taken in passing suddenly like pop out to audiences um, and others that at the time when we were, um, you know, like opening on Broadway, those certain lines had a lot of like um, power to people then, those sort of take some of like the, the back you know, the, the back burner as others come to the forefront. Um, and that's been really interesting to watch. I tried very purposefully to, um, you know, it's hyper contemporary, but I try very purposefully to take issues that are like always the issues, right? And like, um, and put them in. And so it's interesting because I've had a lot of people be like, oh my gosh, it's especially topical now because, and I'm like, I wrote this six years ago. It's like, you guys, we get into this stuff over and over again, you know? Um, and so that's been really interesting is like people latch on to certain lines. And I think every time we've had a production, people have been like, um, well, it's especially topical because now or now this sort of thing. And I think that's beautiful and wonderful. And I'm glad that it, different parts of it can speak to people. And I also hope that we can stop seeing 
headlines as like the new incoming event and see these as part of a, a, a cycle that we have been caught in from the very beginning that we will continue to be caught in if we keep on approaching them the same way. So I think um, that's been really interesting and, and certainly the actors and bodies on stage influence the, the way that happens. But I found that the biggest sort of shift is usually like whatever political context is happening around the show gets projected onto the show. I would imagine it's similar with, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary, I you've articulated that so beautifully. That's what's been happening with this show since I started performing it. Um, it's it's fascinating to watch. Um, people to the point people like, like, oh, you must have changed something tonight. And I'm like, nothing's changing, nothing's changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think I think Heidi, I saw it at New York Theater Workshop right around the Brett Kavanaugh hearings or confirmation. So yes. it was like and obviously you had written it well before then, but it really landed a lot differently. Obviously in the year since Dobbs, you know, it hasn't been a year even yet, has it? Anyway, yeah, it's probably landing a lot differently. I, I'm, I'm curious about, obviously that you didn't program the, the, these plays all over the country, but um, they obviously respond to something and it, we're heading into another election year. And I kept thinking when I was reading POTUS, uh, Selena, how much, it's not about Trump. It's not about any specific person. It's and we're about to head into an election where God bless them, we're gonna have two old guys <laughs> running against each other, most likely. I don't know. It just feels like um these plays are, I guess I think I what I shared with you, Heidi, was they're unfortunately relevant, you know, they're unfortunately gonna to be topical for a while. Um I'm especially interested not to hit hit too hard on the red state thing, but you know, it, these plays are playing all over the country that in addition to Kansas City, the next production of your play will be in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, uh, Heidi. And uh, we'd love to know how it goes. I, I would specifically love to know, um, I think you've talked about this before, about the percentage of keep versus abolish votes at the end of the show. Because there's a no vote, there's a vote after the debate to say, should we keep the constitution or abolish it and like, get a new one? Um, and I think you, I don't remember, I think you said most, it was slightly tipped to keep, right? in New York when you played. I wonder if you have any stats from around the region. So what, what are what taking the temperature of people? The only, well, first of all, the first run at New York Theater Workshop, it was always keep. Um, okay. Huh. Yeah, it was interesting. But I think also the young person, I think Rosedale or Thursday were always the one arguing that. I don't think we started switching oh, I see. as much to Broadway. So yeah, then yeah. Broadway, a lot more people started voting to abolish. And the city I know, the most people voted to abolish the Constitution was in Washington, D.C. <laughs> wow. So one at the Kennedy Center. I think we may have had almost straight abolishes, which I was very fascinated by because um, it was a lot of, you know, political insiders at the play. Um, uh, and then I... You know, Maria Dizia and Cassie Beck both did um, part of the national tour of the show, and they were also surprised, I think, in um, that in you know so-called red states, um, whatever, not so-called red states, they uh, that people would vote to abolish. Like it was, uh, it was mm -hmm. unpredictable, which I find interesting. Um, but I should reach out and try to get all the stats. Oh yeah, no, I just wonder. Like the stage manager report would be like, this happened, this happened, and. Yeah. The they voted to abolish or whatever. Yeah, and you don't have those stats. I, I think it's it's not it's not a, a a pure poll because obviously it's influenced a lot by who argues which side. It is and maybe how, how good the arguments are. Right? And like yes, and then it's just one person. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm wondering also a similar question. Uh, obviously, there's no vote in your in your place. <laughs> not not explicitly. Uh, it does end on a sort of possibly hopeful note. Right, it, I think. It, I mean, both both plays end with the status quo. It's still in place, but pointing to something else. I would say. Would that be fair to fair to say, Selena? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think um, that has been. I think a difference between productions is being like how hopeful or how um, afraid you know mm -hmm. people are at the ending and how that that is presented. To me, the to me, I mean, I don't want to I don't know, give too much away about the, the play. I think to me, hope 
comes from standing together. Um, regardless of what the outcome of the fight is, the hope comes from standing together for the fight to come. Um, and so I am less interested, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, so I don't know, that's sort of what is coming up for me with that. Um, the first time we ever did, I did ever workshop the play was at Lubbock, Texas in Tech for Texas Tech, actually. Um, and so it has, it has always like played um, to a variety of, of political demographics. And I think a lot of Southern theaters were some of the first ones to sign up to license the production when it was available. Um, and what I find is that liberals think that the play is about Trump and conservatives think the play is about Clinton and everyone has a really good time. Um, and I, of course, think that it is about neither one and that right. it's about systemic patriarchy that permeates all political party parties. Sure. So, yeah. um, it's really interesting. Um, but people really do across the board seem to project their own politics onto mm. the, the unseen president and just the administration in general. Um, and that's really, that's really interesting and really funny. Um, I don't know. I think people are more complicated than their, the way that they vote and can surprise you. Sure. And I think that comes out a lot in art and, and that art is one of the only spaces where that's like allowed to exist where mm -hmm. people yeah. sort of interpersonal stuff and conflict and politics comes out and may depart from, you know, wh where, how they vote. That's right. I think theater goers are one of, the, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the sort of uh, monolithic uh, demographics of theater going, but I think there's, it's actually fascinating when you go to places outside of New York or Berkeley, and uh, there's a wide variety of people in, in the, in the, in the seats. Um, I think one of the things that speaking about the themes of your place, Lena, one thing that I, I find most, I guess, moving about it is that, again, I don't want to give anything away, but it, it really is about sort of the collective that that it's not about, you, you don't put forward any one person, I don't think, in the play, maybe Harriet, but maybe not even Harriet, as the person, the single person who could who could do the do the job of POTUS. It's more like the powers in the collective and the, the, the together, like they all have Stephanie knows the languages, Harriet's the great speechwriter, and so on, you know. Um, and there's all these talents that are just sitting there serving this this sort of empty suit, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, I think yeah. Gabrielle, you would ask you wanted to you wanted to ask about, I think, politicians, actual people who've seen it. Yeah, right? about PC. That was really, really interesting. Thank you for that, uh, both Selena and Heidi. Um, I'm so interested to see what how audiences respond when they're kind of all seated together, but they come from those different backgrounds or belief systems. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing POTUS at Steppenwolf and I had the opportunity to see a constitution um, during the pandemic from my screen. It was such a blessing. Um, but I'm really, really curious about DC response specifically. You know, POTUS just opened at Arena, Constitution played at the Kennedy Center in fall of 2019. Uh, do you know of lawmakers, of politicians who have attended um, either in DC or in other places? What have some of the reactions been um, either from politicians or from people kind of hoping that they will attend? What do you, have you heard those kinds of things? Um... I, yes, I guess I'll throw. I, so the, a lot of um, a lot of people, a lot of politicians came to the show, and a couple of Supreme Court justices came to Constitution when it was on Broadway. I told this story a lot, so forgive me. But I, but I, did, I did get notes from Justice Ginsburg. I got two notes from her. <laughs> she came. She was wonderful. She came backstage and talked to all of us, and then um, uh, it was incredible. You mean we like artistic notes? like artistic notes or legal notes but but sure, <laughs> it's a play on stage uh <laughs> so i got this letter from her which i have framed um saying very lovely things about the show and then asking if she could have a copy of the script and i at that point i don't even think i had a published copy of the script and i was terrified to send it to her i'm sure there's i'm a typo queen i have like anyway i was like uh and my um, my stage manager was like, oh, Heidi, don't worry about it. She's not going to read it. It's like, a, you know, you sign it for it to her. It's like a, 
a nice gesture. She's not going to read your script. I'm like, right, of course, of course. She's not time to read my script. So I sent her like a little lovely package and uh, with a copy of the script. And within three days, I want to say it was two days, but maybe it was three days. I got uh, an envelope at the theater from her with the um, one of the cases I discussed printed out with little things stuck on it, little um, post-its on it. And then uh, saying like, I loved your script. I have two thoughts for you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I know. I took one note and not the other. Wow. <laughs> wanted me to change. Um, I, I asserted that like, if um, the Equal Rights Amendment you know, had been ratified that this case I talk about would have turned out differently. And she said, you really should say may have turned out differently. And I was like, fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is she wanted to say, she strongly believed that the, the Equal Rights Amendment had to, um, uh, that it needed to go through the whole process over again. But the fact that now enough states have ratified it is because the deadline has passed. She thinks we, she thought we needed to start over. And that was in the debate. And I was like, you know what? It's a debate. And so I'm going to leave it. Like, I'm not saying it's true. I'm somebody's debating that side. So, um, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I had not, I had not heard that story before. Heidi, thank you for telling that. <laughs> I mean, you obviously had, I would think you talked about, you did, you did have lots of feedback and notes, not just artistic notes, but legal notes throughout the play from, from people other than Justice Ginsburg. I did. But, I uh, also thought out, I mean, Oliver and I met with a lot of people, legal scholars and folks from the yeah, ACLU and a lot of people before, just because I'm not obviously a, you know, a legal scholar. And so just like one, sometimes just to literally try to understand, like I would listen to a yeah. case over and over and just be like, I don't get what's going on here. So just to get some basic understanding and then also to get it fact checked, we met with a lot of people. Um, uh, and I did hear that when we performed in DC, apparently there were arguments in the, the clerks in the Supreme Court were arguing over the case regarding domestic violence and restraining orders that I talk about is a really famous case. And apparently mm. they were having sort of arguments about um, my sort of take on it. Um, yeah. Well, I think Wait, I'm were, sorry. Yeah. The clerks, the Supreme Court clerks were arguing about your play. This is what I heard, yes. I don't think, I, I think they were pretty critical of me. I don't think they were sure, like, oh, right, we should totally yeah, sure, 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 sure. change the law. But um, Fair enough, but still, yeah. that's just to make, to, yeah, yeah, just to think that, that it's uh, not just theater people talking about this, <laughs> which is one reason why it's- uh, Yes, yes, no, it was yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was exciting to feel like, um, it made it into a larger conversation for sure. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to take over that question, Gabba. Go yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I feel like that's all we can hope for right now. That's incredibly exciting. Thank you for sharing those stories. I know, Selena, you were hoping uh, AOC might attend the Arena Stage production. <laughs> um, what, what responses have you gotten so far? Yes, I have said that into every single media <laughs> that I have spoken to. I was like, do you think AFC should come? I think she should come, you know? <laughs> like, so I don't know. I might've scared her off actually with my fervor. Um, but she, uh, yeah, I mean, opening is tomorrow night. So um, I know a bunch of politicians are invited to opening and I will see who comes. Um, I mean, I know Hillary Clinton came to the Broadway opening uh or she didn't come to the opening she came to the run um so i wasn't there at the time um and um there were other people that that came um i i'm told that you know politicians really do go see arena shows do go see um the dc shows which is cool and i i find that uplifting i didn't i didn't know that that was the case um i've heard that katanj jackson goes to see a lot of the shows um, a lot of the openings. So, you know, we'll see who who comes. We were joking that there should be like a 
learning night for like a very specific male audience that we should like have an all male audience to be like, come learn with your brothers, you know, like come sit <laughs> in the comfort of men and have a learning night. Um, but uh, like I don't know, out, like pads and tampons or something, make it like really. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how it, how it plays out. Um, I think it's, you know, because of the nature of the show, because the nature of the farce, it is some, it is a show that you can kind of, um, you know, uh, you can sneak stuff in so people can be like, oh, it's so silly. It's so silly. It's so silly. And so it does sometimes like let people feel comfortable enough that they can come and then hopefully, you know, insert, <laughs> insert your, <laughs> your agenda um, mm-hmm. where you want. I think the thing that's really going to be interesting about this um, arena production is that it's in the round and it's the first time the show has been done in the round. And, you know, as a farce, doing a farce in the round is like so hard. And, and I think Margot's done some like really incredible um like creative fixes to make just like the physical comedy and stage magic work. Um, but it means also that you can watch the audience watch, which mm. I think in DC is like a super fascinating thing that just happened. And we were just, you know, this was the stage we were given. So we were like, okay, this is the way it's going to be done. Um, and uh, so that is, I think, something that I'm really interested in. That's so delicious. And I'm also really curious and not to give too much away about yeah. how they will physically put POTUS. <laughs> yeah, how, how do you do a how do you do a closet a slamming door farce without with with, with in a, in the round? That's amazing to think about. Yeah, we we have a credenza, so it's actually okay. like a low uh. thing <laughs> um, <laughs> instead. Um so that which I think was like a really creative, a creative um solution yeah there's all sorts of, of really creative situ- like solutions that they've done in terms of like lights and sound and and sort of a b- very stripped down uh non-literal stage so it's it's very like text-based and yeah. and you know just like between the bodies on stage that's so exciting I was just talking to Rob as I was reading POTUS I kind of imagined it being done a la sleep no more so I'm really excited to see <laughs> what productions might actually make you run with those actors um, and when we might <laughs> be able to get a sense of that um, speed, which comes through so beautifully in reading. Um, so in my time, I've seen a lot of pushback to my own work um, with like my own political agenda and my own intersection of identities. Um, and that can be really challenging sometimes, but I would love to know um, if you've heard that kind of thing in lobbies, how you've dealt with different reactions, both extremely positive and extremely like, oh my gosh, were you concerned about inviting specific people, about seeing the work go up in a particular place? Um, and then just to make sure the question doesn't get too heavy, because I know it can be hard to discuss this sort of thing. I'd also love to know uh, what has been an uh, outrageously joyous reaction. I know for myself, just reading the plays, I I kind of scream a little bit. Um, (laughs) um, So what has that been like, kind of both sides of that spectrum? <laughs> I do remember. I remember uh, Heidi. I think I came to the New York Theater Workshop not because of Brett Kavanaugh, not just, but you just got in the Times review, which wasn't wasn't a great review, and I think you were feeling a little raw about that. And uh, I don't know. It, I I felt like I was reassuring you that that actually no, actually your show is great, Heidi. <laughs> it's well written. It's not baggy or whatever the adjective was. Baggy. Anyway, one of the that was the description baggy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I was like. Yeah, what, what I want to talk about that reviewer, but yeah, I did, no, sorry, I, I didn't mean to trigger any remark on stage about how the play was structured. Yes, uh, yes, it seemed like yes. he thought I was truly actually making it all up off the top of my head as I went along, which actually would have, I think, made me a genius, but I was not, in fact, I had written. It <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, that's, I mean, obviously, that's intentional, it's, a, it's, a, it's sneakily constructed, you know, it's all, it's all intentional. So, Anyway, I didn't mean to go to a specific one, but I just wanted to help elicit, right. open the floodgates, positive, negative reactions, you know. Um, I will say it's, I mean, it's, I've gotten a lot of both. And I think, I think the thing that struck me the most performing this show, I mean, there were so, there's so many things in the show that I 
intellectually felt like one ought to be able to talk about, or we, it's important to talk about these things. Like it's important to talk about abortion, particularly if you've had one, because it, you know, it helps us realize how many of us have been through the same experience. It helps normalize things. Um, I think it's important to talk about like family violence. And, um, but I thought, I believed all that intellectually. And as soon as I, when I first started performing the show, I actually realized how many of those taboos like I had internalized how how physical they were for me actually, so my mind would be like yes talk about this there's no no shame it's actually a good thing to like and then and then I would just have feelings of shame or my throat like closing up or it was amazing to me how my body was just like you're not supposed to talk about that or you're indulgent or nobody wants to hear this or you're whining or you're I mean the number of things that would go through my head, um, so it was very interesting. Um, to, just to, especially when I first started performing, people's waiting for me afterwards to say like, you know, I have family stories like yours. Thank you for talking about it or wanting to tell me their story or just clearly at, at having provided some kind of catharsis um, because so many people had similar stories. Um, and that was uh, very moving to me. It also helped me keep performing. It also helped me work through some of my shame and um, and fear and talking about things. Um, so that I think that was the most powerful thing about performing the show for me. Now, I all the time had people, weirdly, it would just be like, so nothing even overtly political to me. It's just like, as soon as I would say I'd had an abortion, people will inevitably get up and walk out. And it happened when I saw it in Notre Dame. It happened... I'm sure it happens, yeah, in lots of places, but it happened to me quite often. And I found that really, I mean, I became inured to it eventually. It was just like, okay, I guess, you know, um, that to some people is like, they they don't want anything more to do with me, which is fascinating. Cool. Yeah. That's tough. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have so many thoughts. I'm trying to think of like a concise way of saying, all these. well, I think just one thing just to like respond to Heidi. I remember um, I took my parents to see your show and we, everyone had a really great time. And afterwards we got into like a whole discussion and we were talking about, sorry, it's been a few years, so I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but the moment where you talk about, I think you're in a car with the oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the moment of being like, just realizing that maybe you wouldn't, knowing you could say no, and also something inside of you being like, what if you can't? And mm -hmm. my mom and I both were like, that. We were both like, that is the exact thing. And my dad has always, he's been always like very, I'm like so petite. My dad has always been like, you have to take self-defense classes. Like, I'm really like, you need to take self-defense classes, all these things. It's true. I do, you know we should all know how to defend ourselves. We should. And he was sort of like, well, you wouldn't feel that way if you took self-defense classes. And, and we ended up getting into this thing of like my mom, my mom and I, and my dad having this conversation of being like, I could be the most like physically strong, powerful armed woman. And there is still the inside part that has, mm -hmm. that will never be able to be armed enough you know, like there's the inside part that will never be like, have enough armor because it's inside and it's tender to, you know, like overcome that feeling. And we were, and like, it was, it was a great conversation because I think we were able to like articulate that. And he, you know, I think he was able to hear that. And it was just his own, of course, like fear for me and fear for my mom being like, you, you know, you have to get you, you have to take self-defense classes and, and just trying to articulate of like, Yes, of course, but my body is only one thing on the line here, you know, mm -hmm. and I think being able to articulate that and have that conversation completely came out of your show in that moment. And, and so I, I just think like those things that like often give friction or give people anxiety are like the conversations that do need to be had. Um, I didn't think it was baggy at all. I think it was like a well- <laughs> well-fitted pants one might say um but uh yeah. but yeah I do I also think and I think it's important to say that when oftentimes when male artists 
write new forms or write something that doesn't adhere to a traditional structure, there's an assumption of genius. And when female artists write forms that are somehow differing from what you expect, there is an assumption that maybe they didn't know how to write the actual form. And so that this was like an accident. <laughs> and I could totally see that happening. Um, I'm sure with a show like yours, and I think also like a little bit with mine, I think sometimes there were times of being like, well, this part was so, so messy or like, or she couldn't, you know, she didn't know how to like get the laugh in the final moment or something like that, as if that was like an accident on my part, you know? Um, and so I think that's something that comes up in, in people's responses. Um, I insulate myself heavily. I don't read reviews. Um, I am only recently like on social media in a public way where people can talk to me because I was like incredibly anxious about getting unsolicited comments and DMs and things like that. In a weird way, I find positive feedback is sometimes the most anxiety producing for me. I don't know why exactly it's like this thing of like oh another person that i can let down you know it's like what my really like neurotic kind of um brain does um but i just think like the voices in my head when i'm making something are so critical and there are so many things that are outside of my control you know actors directors set like it's such a village that goes into it there's so much that's outside of my control that I may or may not agree with that ends up just happening and so it's enormously painful for me to hear like negative or positive feedback and then so in general I just kind of try to put blinders on um to a point that was so severe that I think sometimes I miss feeling the impact of that on the world. And um, when I, I missed my own opening on Broadway because I got COVID um, and it was like truly so devastating. And then I had to immediately leave for LA because I was in a writer's room. And so I didn't get to experience much of it. And then I came in for closing and I was completely blown away by the response where like people wanted like autographs and like wanted to talk to me. And I had like people come up like crying and like wanting to talk to me and like men being like, will you sign this for my daughter? And like, I was like, so absolutely blown away. And those kind of person to person experiences are in, I mean, they're like, why you show up, you know? And so I think I realized after that, that it's important for me to let that in because otherwise you feel like you're just in a room like putting your heart out on the line and you're like here take it stomp on it you know um and so it's better to sort of um to let that in and to like you know take that in because you don't even know if you'll get to like be there for it so you need to take it the wins when you get them that's very yeah I told you I took my mom to your play, Selena. My mom and I sat together and actually like both just laughed until we were crying and also like were like holding hands during moments of it. It was a really great mother. And I could see that my mom just, I think she felt so, I think she just felt so grateful to get to just laugh at all of it. I, I really, it was clearly, um, healing for her on some level to just get to like see all those women being so funny and then just to get to laugh at kind of the horror of it all I, it was I don't know I thought what you did was brilliant in constructing that as a farce and um and it was a really great night of theater for my mom and I so thank, thank you. you I think especially for women and and non-binary people of a certain age where they sort of had like a, a span of movement work that was kind of like thankless and then felt like something had moved forward and then have to still in their lifetime watch things go back. There is a huge loss. Like my mom, my mom gets very emotional when she watches um, POTUS because she fought so hard for the ERA. And like, mm. it's this grief that comes up for her where she goes, I, I can't believe I'm still fighting for this. Or she goes, I can't believe that this is going to happen, like not happening 
in my lifetime or things like that. It's like this grief that comes up. I think it's very much like a certain age of activist that has so much like held grief. I think that's right. No, my mom articulates that a lot. Like, oh, I'm never going to see a woman president in my lifetime. I'm, I'm likely going to die with less rights, you know, than I had. Anyway, yes. I was just going to say right. it was, it was fast, fascinating to think that both these plays appeal to multi-generational audiences the way the theater does. But of course, it's not just any any generation. That was my positive spin on, on your yeah. stories. But uh, I wanted to just, uh, we're getting close to the time we got to close. I just wanted to ask briefly about um, what's next for you. I know, Heidi, you have a translation of, or adaptation of Uncle Vanya coming up at Lincoln Center. I want to hear just a little bit about that. And Selena, I don't know what's up for you. I know that uh, Heidi's... Uh, 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 production list is what the Constitution means to me as far as the eye can see. And you have a, but you have a production of something clean in the coming season. That's another play of yours, not a new one. But I wondered if you could, if you both you could just talk briefly about what's next for you uh, as as playwrights. I know mean, you might be working on film stuff too, but I want to hear about the plays. Uh, yeah, so I'm working with Lila Neugebauer um, on this new translation adaptation of Uncle Vanya. I I have this whole other life right after college where I worked as a journalist in Russia and um, I translated, I, I did a lot of live translating for Russian theater companies when I was younger and also translated the Seagull when I was younger. So it's always been a dream of mine to return to these plays. Lila came to me not that long ago and asked me if I would be interested in working on this with her. She's one of my oldest friends. She assisted and directed my first play actually at um, a Creature at the Ohio Theater in 2000. Eight, um, and uh, so I said yes, and I've been spending all my time with Uncle Vanya, and I'm really excited about her approach. We have an incredible cast. The more I read this play, and the and the goal of the translation is to make it as sort of uh, relevant and accessible and immediate as possible, as it, it's set in a kind of present, or perhaps even slightly in the future, and. Um, uh, and I really have fallen back in love with this play and feel like it's a play that speaks to so much of what we're all going through right now. So I'm I'm very excited about it and about getting to collaborate with her. Now I'm even more excited about it. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I didn't know anything about your previous life as a Russian star. Yes. <laughs> we, obviously, yeah. we'll have to talk about that some other time. Uh, yeah. Selena, I, what, what else do you have on your on your plate? Any commissions yeah. or things like that? Or? Yeah, I, this... Uh, in end of October, I'm just having like a first read, like just to hear out loud my play that I wrote for Roundabout is a Roundabout Commission, um, which is my kind of psychosexual IVF ruffle <laughs> play. Um, <laughs> just for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's that one's not that one's not public I'm just like hearing it out loud and like kind of in preliminary stages of hearing it out loud for the first time um so and that's fun because it's spooky and I'd really be hearing it out loud on Halloween for the first time so I'm excited and nervous about that um I have two plays that are um like solid first drafts that um are just waiting to be produced if anybody would like to do them <laughs> um and they're just sitting there um and so i'm hoping to like go back to pushing those um on people <laughs> and um i have you know i always have like ideas and things in the back burner that i'm that i'm noodling on um and uh, you know, of course, with the with the WGA strike, you know, I don't know how you felt, but all of a sudden it was like, oh, deadlines came crashing back down as soon as the strike ended. So um, I have to do a little bit of um, work on on some uh, TV and film stuff too. Um, and I have for like seven years this idea for a one woman show that I've been noodling away on. And at some point, I'd love to pick your brain. Uh, Heidi, because the thing I keep on doing is like, who wants to hear me talk still? Like, at for this long is like the anxiety that keeps on coming up as I'm writing it, being like, oh my god, I'm still talking, you know. Uh, so, um, I was like, how do how do you overcome that? Oh, <laughs> um, overcome so at some it. point, maybe I'd love, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I will tell you, this <laughs> it never goes away. You won't overcome it. You just have to, <laughs> yeah. 
well, you can you can build like a high, I think Heidi Versman did build moments in there where you sort of stop yourself and go, why am I still talking? What is what 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 am I here for? And I, I think the moments of vulnerability you built into it, I was lucky enough to see it twice. I think it was that they weren't canned moments of vulnerability. They really you really got yourself there, Heidi. You know, um, and I think I would love to see a production uh, to see whether that still works. With I'm sure other actors are able to do that too to just tap that those moments where it just it feels very raw. You know? I have to say, I saw, I got to see Kate Baldwin do it. Up at, oh, wow. And she was incredible. Um, and that, I think, was the first production I saw that I didn't have anything to do with. And I was like, oh, very different, you know, we're very different personalities. And it was, um, I was, it was an amazing performance. I was also like, oh, you know who can stand up and talk for almost two hours without losing their voice or maybe having that feeling is a musical theater actor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, you've, no, you've created, you know, both of you have created, you know, you've contributed to the theatrical literature, which is a living literature, but it, these are, these are sturdy, sturdy works that, that other people can interpret and, and many will and are in the coming season. I'm so, so grateful to have you on. So, so excited for both of you, Selena, Heidi, Gabriella, thanks for your help today. Uh, I, I feel duty bound to point out not only that you can get a, a American Theater Magazine by joining TCG, but also TCG Books publishes what the Constitution means to me. Uh, so you can get the get the play. Also, Concord Publishing publishes POTUS, right? So go out and get your copy of these plays. Um, Off script is produced by Ali Pearson. American Theater Magazine is a publication of Theater Communications Group. If you want to support our work, please join us at americantheater.org slash join. I think that's it for today. Thanks so much for being part of this today. <laughs>